0: We're in a series, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm having a blast, and here's why. Because this is, I've had a lot of people during this series say, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And I said, well, that's good, but I'm doing it because I need this really bad. This is what I struggle with, and I figure if I struggle with it, a lot of people probably struggle with it. We're in a series, it's called You Think." And we say that because our thoughts are so incredibly important. This is week three. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the the mind and the teaching of the Apostle Paul. What do we know about the mind? What do we know about the mind? Here's what we know. We know that most of life's battles are won or lost in the mind. It's It's not external. It starts here. And those battles are won or lost in the mind. We know that the life you have is a reflection of the thoughts you think. So even though you think, nobody else knows what my thoughts are, they are becoming your life. It says in Proverbs, a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's the direction that we're going. We also know that what comes into your mind comes out in your life. So when you're thinking it, when it's in there, when you're putting it in there, it's going to come out in your life. We also know that you cannot have a positive life. If you have a negative mind. And so we get to choose so much of that. Because if you can't control what you think, you can't control what you do. So that's what we're talking about in this series. Our thoughts matter. We have some key verses we've looked at. We're going to look at these again so we can kind of just set the stage for today. From 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3, it says this. For though we live in the world... We understand that we're in the world, not some like ivory tower. We're in the world. Even though we're in a world, we don't wage war as the world does. We don't fight our battles the same way that the world fights theirs. The weapons, verse 4, we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have, the weapons we have, have divine power. Remember, that's that, the Greek word is dunamis. It's where we get dynamite. They have this explosive power to demolish strongholds. Remember what a stronghold is? A stronghold is it's, it's a fortified you know, castle kind of prison thing. And we don't want to be in those prisons. So we have the bars up here, just to remind us of that. We, to remind us that the power that believers, followers of Jesus, have is this explosive power that can demolish those strongholds. Those things that, those lies and prisons of deception that hold us back. And it says, we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's the key. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Remember, take captive is a war term and it meant that you captured a prisoner with your sword And we said, that's really how it is. Because when we take our thoughts captive, we take our thoughts captive with what the Bible calls the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Those things that cause us to go the wrong direction, those things that cause us to make the wrong choices, those thoughts that come, we can take those thoughts captive with the truth. We can make them obedient to Christ, to the truth. See, people used to think that change really doesn't happen in the brain they used to think that our brain was fixed after adolescence that the age was different in some people it was different for girls than it was for boys which is interesting because they said like the the brain the the guy's brain wasn't fixed until like 25 you know because we're still in adolescence at that point (laughs) um But you know what they've learned? Just recently, in the last couple decades, they've learned, they call it neuroplasticity. They learned that the brain's not fixed. It can change. And it does change depending on what you think about. When you have an experience or a thought, you create a neural pathway. And this neural pathway, when it gets created, when you think that thought again, you're walking down the path again. When you think the thought again, you're walking down the path again, and like any path, it gets worn, and it gets easier to travel on. And the more we think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought. So some of the things that you struggle with, uh, those things are because you've thought those thoughts so many times over the years, you've worn that path down. And what you need to do is you you need to start making some new pathways. You need to start getting rid of some of those ones that are taking you the wrong direction. Because here's the truth. Your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And if those are not good, your life is not moving in the direction you want it to. You can hope all you want that everything is going to turn out okay in your life. And if what's inside is not good, that's the direction it's going. Now... We've been talking about this, and what I want to do is I want to introduce another idea today that's been very helpful for me. I told you, these things I've struggled with over the years, and this has been very helpful to me. I'm going to use a couple big words, and then we're going to explain them. Cognitive biases. I'm going to talk about cognitive biases, but don't get hung up on big words. Think mental filters okay, or mental framework. And before you tune me out and say, he's just preaching psychology. I'm not preaching psychology, okay? I had a professor in one class. um, I think the class was on Tuesday and Thursday. And on Tuesday, he had a point that he wanted to make. And he usually had a quote to go with it. And he had this quote to go with his thing. It was a very positive thing, you know, moved us in the right direction. It was good. And he quoted this guy. And so took that, write it down, know it's going to be on a test Thursday. He has a point to make that's totally opposite the other one. It's negative, it's a bad thing. And the quote he used was the same guy. And I'm, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Is he good or bad? Because you quoted him in a good way on Tuesday. Now you're quoting it in a bad way. And you know what he said to me? Three words. Latin. I don't know Latin. He had to explain it veritas a veritas. That means truth is truth. See, we live in a society that people will say, well, that's your truth. This is my truth. It's like, ah, no. Truth is truth. You don't get to say, that's your truth. This is my truth. No. It might be your opinion, but truth is truth. And what he was telling me is, if it's true, it's true. If science says it's true, If science says it, and it's true, it's not true because science says it. It's true because it's true. They're just recognizing it. I think it was like in 400-ish A.D. um, Augustine said, all truth is God's truth. Because that's, all truth is God's truth. Remember what Jesus said? He didn't say, I speak the truth. He didn't say, I share the truth with you. He said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is truth. So when psychology or science or somebody discovers truth, you know what they're discovering? They're discovering what God knew all along. He made it. And so I have no problem doing that. I have no problem saying, this is, this, is this a psychological thing? It might be, yeah, whatever. But if it's God's truth, it's truth. So cognitive bias, very simple. Here's the definition. You'll, you'll realize right away that it's true for you. It's a mistake in reasoning based on personal preferences or belief. So this reasoning, this decision-making, it's a mistake because of personal preferences or beliefs. There's a mental filter that we all have that impacts how you think and what decisions you make. I read, it says a cognitive bias is an error. It's an error in thinking that affects the decisions and judgments that people make. Some of these biases are related to memory, it says. The way you remember an event may be biased for a number of reasons. All you have to do is find an event, find three people that were at it, ask them what happened, and you'll get three different stories because they all see it from a little bit different perspective. So our biases are related to that memory, and we might think of it different for a number of reasons, and that in turn leads to biased thinking and decision-making. And so we make decisions based on this thinking that may or may not be right. Let me give you an example of this. A number of years ago, um, I took a group of junior high guys into the Boundary Waters. Yes, I'm an idiot, all right? <laughs> The next week, I took a group of junior high girls into the Boundary Waters. They were so much better than the guys. They, they did what you asked, and it worked. The guys were like, oh, yeah, I do this. Have you ever been here? No. <laughs> yeah. So my, my thinking was not as good as it should be during that time. And I remember, I think it was like, I don't know if it was breakfast or lunch, but we had our meal and we were going to get out in the canoes and we had a long way to go across this lake before we got to the next place we were going to stop. And the sun was out, it was nice out, you know, it was early, I put my sunglasses on, I didn't even have glasses at that point. I, I, was, I had good vision, I was young, it was great. Um, but I had a bunch of junior guy, guys, So I put my sunglasses on because the sun was bright and proceeded to try to get these guys corralled. It's like herding cats, you know, get them going in the right direction. We're going to paddle here, and it's going to be good. And all day we're going. We're we're going, and and I'm watching the sky as the the day gets near the end. And I'm watching the sky, and it's getting darker and darker. And it's not looking good. I'm seeing the clouds, and I'm seeing what, and it's like, this isn't going to be good. We don't want to be out on this lake when this storm hits. And I'm telling the guys, the storm's coming. You can see it. The storm's coming. And they look at me like I'm speaking French or something, you know? And so I'm trying to hurry them. Come on, guys. The storm's coming. And so they're not listening, and it's getting darker and darker and worse and worse. And there's an island like we're going to just pull up on this island and kind of assess the situation and see what's going on and know how far we are where we got to go. So I get them up on the island, we get in there and um, <clears throat> I take off my sunglasses and realize, oh, it's bright out. <laughs> I guess there's no storm coming. <laughs> and the guys are just looking at me like, yep, he really isn't. I was convinced that a storm was coming because I was interpreting the situations based on my frame, based on my lenses, based on what I was looking through. I'm hurrying them along because a storm's coming. It's nice outside. I just had really dark sunglasses on. You see, that happens to all of us in life every day. We make decisions based on how we have framed things, our default filters. Our default frames, we do that. That's why people respond differently when you put them in the exact same situation. You can have two people go through the exact same thing and they respond differently. It's not the facts are different. It's the filters. The frames are different. Like you can have two people work at the same job and you can have the boss give them a review. And the review includes some things that they need to work on. And the first guy hears it, and it's like, Oh, I can't believe he's saying that about me. You're criticizing me. I could criticize you too. I mean, he doesn't say that out loud, you know. I could criticize you too. How dare you say that to me? And he gets offended by it, and he doesn't like that the guy says these negative things about him. The next person gets the review, and his response is... I'm, I'm grateful that he shared that with me because I didn't realize that I kind of tended to go that direction. I didn't realize that was a bad thing. And I would have never been able to correct it if I didn't know it was a problem. Now I've heard it. I'm able to do that. That's a good thing. I can be better at my job because of that. You see, it's the exact same situation, the exact same facts, but they respond to it differently. See, that's huge in every area of life. When we talk about God being our Heavenly Father, people hear that through their filters. And you might have had the father who was, who was distant and demanding. And when you hear that God's our heavenly father, it's like, yeah, not so much interested in that. Or you might have had the father that was a loving person. A loving person who was involved in your life and when they say, God's your heavenly father. That, that, that makes you feel good because you want that. You see, the facts have not changed. Your filter is what changes it. That's a big deal. The facts are, are not different. The filter's different. We talked last week, remember, about meditating, about meditating on the truth. It's not like Eastern meditation. It's biblical meditation, like it says all throughout the Bible. We're talking about meditating on the truth. This week, I want to talk about a different tool. It's a different tool that the Bible shares with us, and psychology calls it reframing. Reframing means that we're going to pick a different frame. We're going to look through it differently. Here's a simple definition. Create a different way of looking at a situation, a person, or a relationship by changing its meaning. That means there's going to be a different filter. We're going to look through a different filter to see this. That's what reframing is. Here's an example of this. Um, There's a kid, little kid, a bunch of kids out playing baseball, and they're taking a break. And so there's this little kid, and um, he picks up the bat, and he's holding the bat, goes over and picks up the ball and he declares for everybody to hear, I am the greatest hitter in the history of the game. He throws the ball up, he swings with all his might and misses. He is not deterred de- deterred in any way and he says, I am the greatest hitter in the world. Picks up the ball, throws it up in the air, swings for the fence, and misses completely. Third time, still, I am the greatest hitter. Picks up the ball, swings with all his might, and misses. Without skipping a beat, he says, I can't believe it! I am the greatest pitcher in the world! I struck out the greatest hitter in the world! I am amazing! It all depends on how you frame it. You see? You can walk away happy or dejected. It depends on how you pre- how you frame it. Here's a big word for you: perceptual accentuation. That's what this is. And you, you, it's like what? Don't write that down. It's also cognitive restructuring. It's like wait, wait, what? If you're like me, here's how you think about it: thinking different. That's what it means. Thinking different. We need to think different. Because reframing is simply changing the way we look at something by changing its meaning. So let me illustrate it like this. You hear this all the time. Um, I say this all the time. Um, have a good day. Okay? So let me ask you the question, what kind of day are we going to have? When I ask that question, what kind of day are we going to have? The, there's a number of different answers. You can say it's going to be a great day. It's going to be an average day. Maybe it's going to be a pathetic day. You know, what kind of day are you going to have? The answer depends on how you frame it. Some of you, you have a negative framework. I asked a guy, actually I didn't ask him. I said when I, at Walmart one time, I said, um, imagine that, me at Walmart. I said, I said, have a good day. You know what he did? He looked at me and he said, don't tell me what kind of day to have. (laughs) Okay, I know what kind of day you're going to have. You see, if you're one of those people that have a negative framework, a negative filter, what you're going to do is you're going to say, this day is going to be bad. What kind of day are we going to have? This day is going to be bad. i got to say, I don't like so much being around those kind of people. It can be a pain in the, you know what, you know? I hate going to these things, they say, you know? Never works out for me. Never. Every time I try to do something, I always fail. God's not with me, life's bad, but it's going to get worse. That's how they think. What kind of a day are you going to have? If that's your attitude, I can tell you what kind of day you're going to have. It depends on how you frame it. If it's God is with me, God is good, I can sense His presence like coming to church. I love being here. Some of these people are kind of weird, but I love seeing the good in them. And what God is doing. And I'm going to choose to believe the best wherever I go. What kind of a day are you going to have? Because it depends on how you frame it. What we need to understand is this. If you're taking notes, this is in your notes. You can't control what happens to you. But you can control how you frame it. It's going to happen to you. We don't have control over that. But we do have control over how we frame it. Like the Apostle Paul. We're talking about Paul during this series. Paul had a dream. He had a desire. And his dream and his desire was to go to Rome and preach the gospel. And I don't know how he had envisioned that. I always envisioned Paul going in and, you know, there's the Colosseum and they're going to have like a Billy Graham crusade and Paul's going to preach and all these people are going to get saved. And Paul wanted to be able to preach the good news in Rome and he wanted to be able to affect even some of the, the, the uppity-ups there. Well, Paul got to go to Rome, got a free ride there as a prisoner, got free meals. (laughs) He didn't have cable back then, but he had three free meals um, in prison. He got to go, but he didn't get to go to preach like he thought. He went as a prisoner. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I get it. Maybe something similar has happened to you in that maybe it's just like your career related. You worked really hard. You you went to school, you got your degree, you got this job that you're kind of like overqualified for now and you can't get another job and you're thinking, I thought I did everything right. And it's just not working out well. Or maybe you knew what the Bible said about uh, the the whole dating thing and the whole marriage thing and you said, I'm going to do this right. And you honored God in your dating. And you married your sweetheart. And it ended badly. And you said, I tried to do what God wanted me to do. What's up? Or maybe, regardless of where you're at on your road, you've said, you know what? At this point in life, I kind of expected something different. I kind of expected something better. And so, Paul could have said those things. Paul's in prison, chained to a guard. You know, every eight hours they have a new guard come chained to him, and he, he's, he's writing letters from there. And he could have said something like this. He could have said, as he's writing from prison to the church in Philippi, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me really sucks. As a result of all the bad that I've been through, I'm quitting my small group, and I'm never going back to church. That was Philippians 1 from the NWV, the new winer's version. <laughs> he could have said that. Today, probably would have been more like a group text, you know? Or a, a post on Facebook. I think people forget that when you post on Facebook, millions of people see it. And I think one of the things that's funny to me is when somebody, they do this prayer request that doesn't give any information. You know, pray, pray for me. Because they want 30 people to say, oh, what's wrong, you know? Paul could have done that. He could have sent out the group text and says, pray for me. I'm struggling. The food's horrible. There's rats here. The guards don't shower, you know? They're going to execute me soon, And he could have said that, I hate life. That was the condition he was in. He might have said that way early on in his life. But throughout Paul's life, he allowed God to renew his mind. He allowed God to change the way he thought. He allowed God to grow that inside and to change that filter in his life. So that at the end, it wasn't the same as it was at the beginning. And here's what he says in Philippians 1, 12 and 13. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me... And they knew what had happened to him, and it was bad. He'd gone through a lot, and now is in prison. He said, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result... It's become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. This is mind-boggling to me. What what most people think is bad, he's saying, you know what, I'm framing it as good. That's how I'm choosing to look at it. He was chained to a guard that rotated every eight hours. He was chained because he was an important person, as far as a prisoner goes, because he was a citizen, he was chained to influential Roman guards. New one, every eight hours, came in and chained to him. And I I know know what's going on in his head. They thought I was a prisoner. Eight hour sermons. (laughs) Who's the real prisoner? Where are they going to go? And you know what? Many of them came to Christ many of them became followers of Jesus, into even the Roman household. And so the thing he desired, the results of it, they were actually happening. He says in verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, he's talking about the ones in Rome there, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, He's telling them, God has used my troubles, God has used my chains to embolden the family of Christ. You see what he did? He took the facts, did not change. How he framed it changed. How he chose to look at it changed. So how do we reframe our stories? How how do we reframe our relationships like, like Paul did? How can we do that? Here's three really simple things. Here's the first one. Thank God for what didn't happen. Because as bad as it was, it could have been worse. That's always true. I heard a story of a girl who was in college, and she calls her parents up on the phone, and the the parents are all excited to hear from her, so they put her on speakerphone, so the mom and the dad are listening, and she says, I just wanted to tell you, I met a guy at the bar. We, We hooked up, and I'm pregnant with twins now. But his probation is over in a year. And he's gonna, he tells me he's going to start looking for a job as soon as he's out of rehab. He's considering marrying me, but we can't afford it, so he's just moving in right now. And then she stops. Dead silence on the other end. She says, actually, Mom and Dad, none of that's true. I just got a D on my chemistry exam. But it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> You see, it could always be worse. And whatever your situation is, you can thank God that some things didn't happen. We're not saying bad didn't happen. We're saying you can thank God for what didn't happen. You have a work thing where you have a deadline that you have to accomplish a certain thing, and you blew it. You missed the deadline, and you didn't get your bonus. And so you can whine and moan about that, or you can say, you know what? I didn't lose my job. That's a good thing. Maybe you got in a car wreck, you know, wasn't serious as a fender bender. I don't worry about those anymore. All of my fenders have rusted off. so I, I don't know what you would call it if I got in a fender bender because I don't have fenders on my vehicle. But you got in a wreck and all you can think of is, oh, this is going to be so expensive. I'm going to have to go through the trouble of this. and We're going to have to fix that. And that's what you focus on. Or you could say, you know what? No one was hurt. It's a big deal that no one was hurt, and you're choosing to say, "I'm thanking God in this for what didn't happen." It could have been worse. I've had this happen many times. Um, I like flying. I like flying on planes. In my dreams, I actually don't need a plane. It's pretty cool, but I like flying on planes. I love the the takeoff. I love the landing. I just like that. Here's what I don't like. I don't like getting on a plane and you get out. You know, maybe you pulled away from the thing, but you're you're out there, and they say there's going to be a delay. Come across, there's going to be a delay. And I had this once. We sat for a couple hours on tarmac the because they had a problem with one of their computers. And they said, we have backups to all of them. My first question is, is it a Windows or a Mac? Because I'm just thinking about all these computer things. And, and like, okay, they have a backup. Do things usually go wrong? Why do they have a backup? But here's what can happen you can be there and realize my flight's delayed and things are bad and I'm sitting next to somebody who's smelly and things aren't working good and there's kids crying and all this happening. Or here's what I do when I'm on the plane and that happens. I can say, I am really grateful that it happened down here and not up there. I would rather be down here wishing I was taking off than up there not knowing if I could land. You know, every takeoff, every takeoff is optional. Every landing is not. You're going to (laughs) land. One way or another. So you can reframe that and you can be all bitter and mad about it or, you know what, at least we're down here, could be worse. See, in the whole scheme of things, most of the things that we stress about and frame the wrong ways are really not that big a deal. We look back on them especially and see that. I am not saying that you're supposed to minimize it if it is a big deal. I'm not saying that. I know there are things that are a big deal. I'm saying that we do need to thank God for what didn't happen. And then we can move to the second one, and that's this. Practice pre-framing. Pre-framing. That means our thoughts, are our, our frames, remember, they shape how we experience it, and what we experience and how we describe that, and how we get through that. And so we have to practice that, and I'm, I tell people, practice that on the little things. And it's easier, you know? Something's coming up and you know that it's going to be really difficult and you're bent because of your frames is to say, this is going to be so hard. What you could say is, you know what? It's going to be fun. I love a challenge. The first time you say it, it's going to be, and I just lied. (laughs) But when you say it enough and you pre-frame it differently, you don't go into it bad. It can be a lot of different things that we do that. Um, We have a lot of big family things and this is, I would never do this, but it, there, are, there are people who, who would say they have this big family thing, I hate going to those things. I hate this thing, you know, whatever it is. When you do that, you are setting yourself up for it to be bad. What you could be saying is, you know what? I'm going with family. That's good. Events the same. Facts are the same. Circumstances are the same. It's how you frame it. Because what we believe Determines how we behave. So you pre frame it. I said earlier one of the questions was what kind of day do you want to have? What kind of day are we going to have? I want to illustrate that for you. Go ahead and put the next picture up. You know what this is? It's a frame. It's not rocket science, it's just a frame. The beautiful picture here, I love this picture. I don't know which side would be better. I think I'm safer standing on this side because there's not as much stuff for me to break. It's a beautiful picture. I'm stealing this idea from Julie. Julie did this. Um, this frame here, um, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I was framed. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. Here's what you can do. I'm going to try to stay out of everybody's way. Here's what you can do with this situation. You can say, what kind of a day are you going to have? Right there. It's going to be bad. going to be storms. Probably going to get hit by lightning. Things are going to be bad. Because that's how you choose to frame it. You can also, what kind of day are you going to have? Right here. I'm going to have a day where the sun is poking through the clouds and things are looking good and we're going the right direction. Did the picture change? No. Did the day change? No. How you framed it? changed. That's what makes the difference. It's not that the facts change. It's not that the facts are different. It's that you picked out the right frame. So you can practice pre-framing things. You can realize, I don't always have to go to that negative side. I can interpret it differently. And here's the best way to interpret it differently. Number three is this. Look for God's goodness. Regardless of what's happening, you're going to look for God's goodness. Because here's the truth. You usually find what you're looking for. That's what happens. If you want to see bad, you'll see it. If you want to see negative, you'll see it. If you want to see nothing but challenges, that's what you're going to see. But if you want to see good you're going to see it. If you want to see positive, you're going to see it. If you want to see the opportunities, that's what you'll see. Because we usually find what we're looking for. How many know what a vulture is? You ever seen one? Ugliest sin. No smile going on with a vulture, okay? What do vultures look for? (laughs) Roadkill. They look for dead things. I know what a hummingbird is. What do hummingbirds find? Sweetness, nectar. You know why? Because you usually find what you're looking for. You get to decide, am I going to be a vulture or a hummingbird? What am I going to look for? Because I'm probably going to find it and you're going to say, but I want to be a hummingbird, but I've spent my whole life being a vulture. Here's what you do. You realize you can't change on your own. But you can let Jesus help you decide. Because Jesus, it says, renews our thoughts, renews our minds, renews our thinking. That's the creating new neural pathways. The Bible said that 2,000 years ago. That that's what Jesus can help us to do. That's why Paul could be in a situation that he was in and say this, For me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. You know what that means? win win Either way, I win. Because that's how he's choosing to look at it. He says, I wouldn't choose this, but I'm thankful for what God did in it. I'm thankful for how he used it. There are many things in my life that I would say, I would not choose that, and I would not choose it again. But I'm thankful for what God did in it and how he used it in me because I looked for the goodness of God in it and I saw it. It's like Joseph... Joseph and all his brothers. Joseph, it appears that he liked his brothers. He talked to them all the time. He told them everything. He told them way too much. He would have dreams about how um, there's there's the 12 of them and how there's one standing here and there's 11 of these things bowing down to it, you know, and they're like, here he goes again, you know. And everything he did turned them against him until one day they actually took him and threw him in a pit. He took the coat that he had that was the coat that his dad gave him that was so cool, you know, with all the colors on it and everything, um, and got blood on it and stuff and, and to, to look like there was this bad thing happened. And a, the caravan comes by, not the, the car, caravan, the caravan of people coming by, not good people, and they sell him out of the pit as a slave. And they take his jacket, show dad and say, oh, wild animals got him. Now, That's a bad day. My brothers and I, we had our disagreements. That never happened. Never did one of us, I mean, we thought about it, but never did one of us get thrown in a pit, you know, and sold into slavery or anything. And years go by, and God blesses Joseph because he's a man of integrity, and and things would happen and it would go good, and the enemy would hit again, and even though Joseph did nothing wrong, he'd end up in prison again or something would happen. But God worked through Joseph until he became like under Pharaoh in terms of how powerful he was in Egypt and had made them so prosperous and there was this huge famine in the land and the brothers and the family, the, the, the beginnings of the nation of Israel were going to die because there was nothing to eat. And so it's like, well, we, you've got to go to Egypt. We don't want to do that, but we're going to go to Egypt and see if we can get any food from them. And so the dad sends them along and they get there and they come to the guy who's in charge of dispersing everything who is Joseph. Now, I don't know what you would think, It would be really easy not to think, they don't recognize him. They assume he's been dead for years. He's standing up there, sees him there, and it's like, these are the guys that sold me into slavery. (laughs) It's like, toodaloo, bye guys. Could be time for revenge here. But Joseph was a man of integrity. He does play with them for a little bit, which I like, that's a good thing. But Joseph says to them, after after everything gets good and, and they get reunited and everything, Joseph says this to them. You meant it for evil. And they did, throwing him in the pit, selling him into slavery. They did not mean that for good. Go read it in Genesis. It's a fantastic story. It says, you meant it for evil. That was the reality. He says, but God meant it for good. You see what he did? Same circumstance, different perspective. He framed it differently. And it changed his outlook. It changed everything about him. Because if God works in all things for good, which he does, then we need to reject the unhealthy default frames that we've had for so long. Maybe you got them from somebody who said it over you. And now you've said it yourself for for years I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I am just not smart. This is not going to work for me. And you've said those things and you've created those pathways and they're just the easiest ones to rock in. But if God is somebody who does what he says and works in all of your stuff for good, then we can reject those frames. We can reject those ways of thinking and we can allow him to renew our minds. See, reframing is not just passively receiving the circumstance. It's going to happen anyhow. It is actively interpreting every circumstance, knowing that God is good. And I'm going to find the goodness in this. Is the situation good? No, it might not be, but that's not where I'm going to live. I'm going to find God's goodness in it because we are not to be interpreting God through circumstances. That's what most people do. You go through something and you interpret God through that circumstance. Here's what God is like because this is what happened to me. That's backwards. We are to interpret our circumstances based on the goodness of God. And it will change everything for you. That's what Paul did. Paul framed his circumstances based on the goodness of God and said, what's happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. Because that's the choice that he made. Because you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. I'm going to... This is verse not up on the screen. I was reading this this week, and uh, it just it hit me, and I just want you to hear. You can write it down if you want. It's Ephesians 4, 21 and 23. But it, it's not up on the screen. I just want you to hear this. Um, he's writing to people. This is that same guy, Paul. He's writing to people who they already are believers. Now, what that means is they're Christians. A Christian is not somebody who just goes to church. You can go to church and not be a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You know, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. <laughs> going to Burger King doesn't make you whatever their weird thing is. It's not made out of meat. I don't know what that is, but that's a whole other thing. Here, here's what makes you a Christian. Realizing I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because I can turn from my way of doing things, from my sin, from my attempts... The Bible calls that turning. I, I'm, I'm turning from that and I'm turning to Jesus. I can do that, and when I do that, I realize that my sin, as bad as it was, was paid for by Jesus. And I not only am going to believe that, I'm going to receive it for myself. And I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I can't get to heaven because I'm not perfect. Never was, never will be. But I can get to heaven on Jesus' ticket as the way, the truth, and the life. Those are the people he's writing to who have made that, they've stepped across that line from unbelief to belief. So I don't understand this all, but this is where I'm at. And he says this, since you've heard about Jesus... And I've learned the truth that comes from him. Because the bottom line is Jesus is the truth. The Bible, Jesus doesn't say I speak the truth. I said this. He doesn't say I speak the truth. I'm sharing the truth with you. I'm a teacher of the truth. He says I am the truth. And these people had recognized that. They heard about Jesus. They accepted him as their savior. They have learned the truth that comes through him. And verse 22, it says, throw off your old sinful nature your your former way of life what you used to do the way you used to do things and literally you're going to see that he's saying the way you used to frame things because here's what he says throw off your old sinful nature your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception and those two words are actually tied together it's the it's the lust of deception it's, it's the fact that lust in itself is not a bad thing. We have bad connotations because the, the background we're thinking is we have dirty minds. And so when we think lust, that's the framework we have. Lust is desiring something, and the desire is based on your feelings. And if your feelings are wrong, the desire is going to be wrong. And he's saying, we used to be corrupted by all that. Our lust was corrupted because of the deception. Everything about us was corrupted because of the deception. He says this in verse 23. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Your thoughts and attitudes. The internal and external things. The lies. We can now let the Spirit renew those. So that we can think the right thoughts. That we can think truth that we can decide how we're going to frame things because we're letting the Spirit renew our attitudes. I'm not calling it something it isn't. We're not deceiving ourselves. We're not whitewashing it. We're not denying it is happening or has happened to us. We're not doing that. We're just changing how we look at it because we can see it through a lens of Jesus. Because you know what the answer is? The answer is Jesus. If you're already a follower of Jesus, you stepped across that line, you're a Christian, you trust that He died for you on the cross, and you're living for Him, you have the power in you to be able to allow Him to renew your mind so that you don't have to go all those same ways that you used to go. If you don't know Jesus, I'm telling you that's why God brought you here today, that you could hear you could have a relationship with Him. That you could believe that what he said was true. That he came for you. That he died on the cross for you. And you don't have to understand it all ahead of time. Because the truth is, the people who say, I'll believe it when I see it, don't ever get it. It's when you believe it, that you begin to see it. And you turn your life over to him, you say, I don't understand all this, but as much as I understand of me at this moment... I'm given to as much as I understand of you at this moment. I'm turning from my ways. I'm turning to your way, Jesus. And I trust you and I believe you. When you do that, you become a child of God. When you do that, you get the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in your heart with that explosive power to be able to demolish strongholds. That's the answer. The answer is Jesus. He's your answer. He is the truth that you need. I'd like you to bow your heads. We're going to close in prayer in just a moment. If you can bow your head and not look around. Father, I know there's people here all over the map. Some of them are, they're they're thinking already that, yeah, this isn't for me. But we know that you are the answer. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray, Father, that anybody who has never come into that relationship with you, would realize that they just need to repent. They need to turn from their way and turn to your way. They don't need to understand it all. They need to just trust you. Trust that what Jesus did on the cross paid for their sins so that they can be forgiven from their past, regardless of what it is. So they could know what it is to experience meaning and purpose in life today and a living hope for a future. And I pray, Father, that anybody who's thinking right now that they would like that relationship, that in simple faith they would turn to you. That in simple faith they would trust you and say yes to you. And Father, everybody listening to this who's already stepped across that line from unbelief to belief, they're a child of God because of their trust in Jesus, I pray that we would be able to see you in our situations. That like Paul, even in the midst of a very horrific situation, we could see the good. We could see your goodness. We could see what you're accomplishing in that situation, what you're accomplishing in us through that situation. And even when we don't know that when we would like to, that we could just trust you because we know you're good. We know that it's your power in us that enables us to be able to renew our minds, to renew our thoughts, to renew our attitudes so that the direction that our life goes is your direction. Father, thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us here. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. I can say this I know. I want you to say that too. You know how you can say that? By allowing the Spirit to renew your thoughts, renew your attitudes, renew your mind, so you can say that too. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, if you don't know where your future lies, we're inviting you if you'd like someone to pray with you, if you'd like to ask questions, make your way to that back room. People way back there by that back room, right there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that even while we were still sinners and hostile towards you, you sent Jesus to die for us. To live a sinless life, to willingly give that life up on the cross to pay for our sin so that by trusting in Jesus, by believing and receiving Jesus, we could become children of God, that we could, we could come into your kingdom, that we could be forgiven of our past, have meaning and purpose in life today and a living hope for the future. Help us, Father, to allow that spirit to, to renew our minds, to renew our thinking, to renew our attitudes. Thank you for all that you do in us and through us. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.